high above historic Belfont. And still, in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about food and drink in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 26, Thanksgiving. As always, you'll find pictures to go with this episode on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass. You'll also find my link tree. Click on that to find a link to my coffee page, where you can drop a few bucks to help keep this going. And if you've already donated, thank you. There's also a link to the new super short video I made to explain the show, called Got a Minute? You can watch it, and then share it with your friends, so they can join our legion of fans. There's also a link to What's Brewing PA, the beer show I'm co-hosting with Glenn Macnow of WIP Sports Radio. It's a lot of fun, and full of geeky beer stuff. Remember, if you like this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. The more reviews and ratings we get, the better we do on search results, and the more people find the show. Thanks for your support, and on to Thanksgiving. We are back again, only a week after the bonus episode, with our first Thanksgiving episode. You know, when I started the show last November, I was hustling too much to think about Thanksgiving. I just wanted to get an episode done and uploaded. There were some interviews with folks from Otto's Pub and Barrel 21 Distillery and some quick visits to breweries near Williamsport in that first episode. But you also got a kind of stream of consciousness account of how we got a turkey. Last minute phone messages, dark parking lot, cash transaction. I swear it was like a drug deal. And then we took it to my son's new home to roast it. It was weird, but delicious. And it worked. You liked it. So we just kept going. This year, with all that experience under my belt, I was able to plan and produce a real Thanksgiving show, and we have some fun stuff. I have interviews with two Center County turkey farmers, and some advice on what drinks will go well with your holiday dinner. I'm also back in the kitchen, my daughter's kitchen, baking a sweet potato pie. It drove me nuts, but it tasted great. But wait, there's more. What's Thanksgiving without guests? Besides my family and all of you listening— I asked all the guests from this year of Seen Through a Glass to tell us the one thing, besides turkey, that has to be on their table to make it Thanksgiving. We got over 20 responses, and they're a fun bunch. So we'll set the table, put out some snacks, and get at those Turkey Talk interviews. But first, here's what I'm drinking today. What I'm drinking today is the 500th beer in Trogue's Brewing's Scratch series, the relentlessly experimental pilot beers that have served the brewery as a testbed for new hops and yeast, new flavors and new types of beers, but also for fun, because brewers need to do something than just make the same beer every day. It can also keep a brewery ahead of the trend curves by finding the new beers of tomorrow, today. Yeah, whatever. Scratch 500 is a double version of the brewery's popular flagship brand, Perpetual IPA, It's a full 9.2%, and it's stuffed with hops. Bravo, Chinook, Nugget, Citra, Cascade, and Cashmere. Let's get at it. And I I have to tell you straight up, I mean, as soon as I poured that beer and I was still talking, I could smell the hops pouring out of the glass, just jamming up at my nose. There's pine there. It's like sweet pine. Also sweet, sweet citrus. Mm, boy, there's just a lot of it. It's really billowing out of the glass. Let's try it. Mm. 
yeah, definitely that perpetual bitterness there. This is a West Coast style. It's got hop bitterness. It's a, an honest IPA. And if anybody's offended by that, you hazy drinkers, I'm I apologize, but IPAs are bitter. Come on. Mm. And it is clear as a bell. This thing is beautiful. A golden color, bright white head, and you know, not syrupy at 9.2%. That's one thing the uh scratch series and all those years of brewing have taught the people at Trogues. It's how to get a beer that's attenuated, not syrupy or thick. This is a at 9.2%, this is still a pretty good drinker. May have to go back and get more of this, assuming there's any left. Luckily, I'm going to the brewery tomorrow. Trogues Scratch 500 Double Perpetual IPA. Try it. All right, let's talk turkey. Last year, I told you about my family's experiences living near America's oldest turkey farm, Espen Shades, in Ronks, Pennsylvania, where the Espen Shade family has been raising turkeys since the 1860s. We weren't just close to them. My dad delivered truckloads of turkeys for them when he was young, one time driving all the way to Georgia. Kind of makes you think of that line from uh, Elvis's Guitar Man. So I bought me a ride down to Macon, Georgia on an overloaded poultry truck. Hell, that could have been my dad's truck. We got an Espen Shade turkey in 2021, but last year we went local and got a turkey from Mark Scherer of Willow Creek Farm, just down the road from our home in Milheim. I got a picture of him last year holding up our turkey, but I wanted to find out more about the turkey farming. So last week, I met him over some beers at Elk Creek Cafe and got an interview. It's a little noisy, and my mixer wasn't working, so I had to record it on my phone. And it came out pretty darn well, considering. So here's Mark and me talking about raising turkeys. So hey, I'm here with uh, Mark Scherer of Willow Creek Farm. How you doing? I'm great, sir. Thank well, you. Right. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about turkeys. First things first, so, yeah. otherwise I don't want to forget it, and I know people want to know, is November 2nd too late to order a turkey? This November 2nd's pushing it for turkey <laughs> farmers and growers, yes. Um, but most will reserve a few birds uh, for those that are uh, asleep at the switch. Okay. So, so how do yeah. they get in touch with you for that? Yeah, so they'll email, uh, email our farm. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, which is Willow Creek Family Farm. Okay. Best way to get a hold of us. And a message from there. Through Instagram. Um, What's a turkey run? So turkeys, uh, our turkeys are $6 a pound. They're non-GMO, antibiotic-free. They're broad-breasted whites, which is what you would see uh, in the White House. uh, uh, The one that they pardon every year, right? (laughs) Okay. They pardon, but they eat the other one. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So $6 a pound for the non-GMO, antibiotic-free. Size? Uh, range from 16 to 22 pounds. Yeah, I think we had an 18 for yeah, the last yeah, year. Dressed, yeah, yeah, you can figure on about 80% net um, from the from the hanging weight. So, okay. Yeah. And you arrange on how to pick them up around here. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. what we do is uh, we have a local processor, poultry processor. Uh, they're farm fresh. They leave the farm the morning, uh, so they'll leave Tuesday morning. Of, oh. of Thanksgiving, they'll they'll uh, make their way to the processor Tuesday morning at five thirty, and uh, in the afternoon they'll be ready to go, be ready for pickup. 
for wow. the customers. So that's fresh. There's, there's, uh, yeah, it doesn't get any fresher. Than that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. How many turkeys do you have at any given time? Yeah, so we're seasonal. So sure. stri- strictly Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's a Thanksgiving. Yes, yeah, strictly yeah. Thanksgiving. This is a this is a hobby uh, for us. It's a side side uh, op- side business. What's, for what's, us. what's the main thrust of the farm? Yeah, uh, main main thrust of the farm is we we have crops uh, and we have a portion of farming uh, the conservation program crop program. Oh, but, okay. But we have. Uh, we have a pasture that we raise the turkeys on, so it's uh, strictly grass, bugs, weeds, whatever they whatever they find, uh-huh. uh, and then their feed they're supplemented with Kalmbach uh, Farms out of uh, out of Ohio. So it's a uh, poultry processor, poultry food, uh, and they're start them on twenty eight percent for about the first four to five weeks, twenty percent protein. We shift them over to twenty percent, send them out on the pasture at about six weeks, seven weeks. And uh, supplement uh, from there. How how old are they when you get them? Yeah, they're de- they're two days old. A day wow. old, okay, between a day and two days old. So. And, and I mean, they're shipped to you, or you go and pick them up? Or? Yeah, so I, uh, I I buy through a uh, my poultry processor actually. So, oh, so I buy my birds through him. Okay, so at any given time. Uh, it, it, during the season, we'll have between sixty and uh, fifty and sixty birds. Okay, uh, we, we've done a hundred hundreds a lot. Okay, uh, for, for us. And, and is it? Is it a turkey farm, a turkey ranch? No, it, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was at one point a dairy farm. Oh, okay. Uh, and then it was, uh, it was basically uh, mothballed for that. And, oh, okay. And, uh, and strictly crops. We have some cattle. We have Scottish Highland cows and uh, some turkeys, some goats, and uh, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. The birds that you have are they? Mm-hmm. Is that like the like a butterball that you pick up in the store? Or is this a different kind of bird? Is it? Just on a different diet? You'll never buy a butterball again if you eat a farm fresh turkey. <laughs> well, that's buy true. It, that's whether, absolutely true. Whether, whether you buy it, buy it from our farm or another <laughs> local farm uh, who, who raises them in a similar way, uh, you, can, you can tell a difference between a, a production bird, which is grown you know, in a, in, a, in a house from ten to 20,000 birds to, to one that's uh, you know, a couple hundred birds or, or smaller on pasture. Mm-hmm. You know, they're raising confinement. I mean, you want, you want cheap food, you're going to be, that's how, that's, how you, that's how you get cheap food, right? Um, nothing wrong with that. Um, right. But, but uh, you know, if you want to pay $1.50 a pound, you buy the Butterball. If you want to buy a farm fresh turkey like from our farm or others like ours, um, you'll notice the difference. For yeah. Sure, for sure. I think the, the biggest thing for, for us when we started this was to do something different, right? How do you, how do you, we have the land, we have the labor. At the time, our boys were still at home. And, and the reason we got into it in the first place is because one of our sons was a wrestler and he tore, tore his ACL and, and he couldn't do. Oh, that's right. You told me yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he couldn't do the traditional, you know, throw in hay and, and, uh, and, and farm, uh, farm work. So we had to find an alternative. And, we had met uh, a, a turkey farmer a, a year or two prior to that who was doing the same thing, and he introduced us to it. So uh, this gave us an opportunity to, for him to make some uh, money in the, in, in the summer, fall, and, and, uh, and that's kind of launched the business. We were lucky enough to partner with uh, a restaurant, Elk Creek Cafe in Milheim, and uh, Elk Creek uh, agreed to take where on... Where we are right now. Where, where, where we're sitting right now. <laughs> Uh, Elk Creek Cafe agreed to, to come on board as a partner and buy birds from us, and they, they, nice. helped, they helped cross-promote it, and uh, and then we took off from there and selling direct to customers. That's great. How, how long does it take to raise the turkey? Yeah, so we so it's interesting. 
we, we've moved from getting our birds in uh, early July to getting our birds in early August, oh. which which helps. So we'll get them uh, first week of August and process them two days before they head to the processor two days before Thanksgiving. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, that's, wow. How to cook them? <laughs> Any kind of tips, because people don't know what to do with turkey. Yeah, you know, tips you can, you can also... I gotta say, it's got to be great not having to deal with a frozen bird. Well, you, you, that's you, the you don't worst. have the calling time, right? You don't have yeah. the calling time, and then you have that. So, so that is one thing that most people. That's probably the number one question we get is what's the cooking time? Because most people are used to having a, a frozen bird that takes time to thaw, and then is it completely thawed when they when they throw it in the oven or not? So our birds will cook faster, um, and so you do need to be aware of that. I don't have any preferred. Um, I our customers share recipes with us, and then we'll post them on Instagram. Oh, okay. Um, I know brining birds has been a real uh, 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 fad, I guess, and people seem to like it. And spatchcocking birds has been yeah. been, been a new a new fad um, or a new thing that a lot of people like to do. Uh, you know, during COVID, what we learned during that time. So we've been doing this since our fifth year. Um, is um, during COVID, we had a lot of people that wanted them halved oh. um, because they didn't have large family gatherings. Right. So, so we went from, you know, having full-size birds to, oh boy, we have to cut them in half because they wanted they, they didn't want a whole bird, right? Yeah. Because they didn't have a large family gathering. So we had to adjust. And, and you can't tell a turkey not to eat, right? So it wasn't like right. we, could, we could back the turkeys off. Yeah. Um, but we're back, and hopefully we're, we're going to stay back to large family gatherings, and, and people appreciate that 20, uh, you know, 20 pound birdish, because um, there's always lots of leftovers, right? right. That make great new food, but um, later in the week. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, we partner with uh, Keystone Cultures. Uh, oh, the kombucha uh, people. Kombucha, yeah. local partner, and, and Joan and Jeff Karp and that family have been amazing partners of ours. We've cross promoted with them. With each turkey, um, we we give um, our turkey customers uh, a complimentary uh, kombucha, cranberry flavored kombucha that okay. Joan, Joan makes for us yeah. uh, for the season. So, so you've got to have some cranberry somewhere uh, uh, right. uh, with with your turkey, and the cranberry kombucha is a nice, uh, nice. nice compliment to it. But, uh, Lou, really, I appreciate you doing this and, and uh, allowing folks like us who are small timers. Who, That's who, the whole point. Who, who, yeah, I mean, it's a labor of love. You know, I, I, I feed them uh, out of the, you know, with a bag. I, you know, I carry the bag out every morning, and I carry buckets of water every morning, right? But it's it is a labor of love, but it's something that, uh, you know, when when we have customers who are repeat customers now for our fifth year, um, bring their kids, and the kids are jumping up and down, can't wait for the turkey. It's like a Christmas morning to these kids. We, yeah, we have a couple of families that that do this, and the kids get all go excited to get dressed up to come pick up their turkey. And, uh, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's, it's yeah. fun for my wife and for me. And now that our boys are, are college age and, and not on the farm to help us. But, uh, I mean, they do when they come back when they can. But yeah. When it's, yeah. So, anyway, it's fun. Special we're not, time. We're not getting rich off of it, but we're having Yeah. A, oh, I know that feeling. We're having <laughs> a, a dark time. We are. We're having a darn good time with it. We, we just put the money back into it, right? So we put yeah. it right back into the farm. So. Yeah. I think this is what farmers mostly die poor, right? <laughs> well fed, but, well fed, but yeah. poor. Hey, yeah. hey, life is good, though. There's, there's no... That's right. Life is good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I learned my lesson. Never mention butterballs to an independent turkey farmer. I wasn't sure one interview would be enough, though. 
I mean, you want leftovers, right? Turkey sandwiches, turkey salad, turkey gravy, turkey hash, turkey a la king, gallons of turkey soup. Anyone get that reference? Anyone? <sighs> so I hide me over the hills to Howard and back into the woods to find Nancy Kaltenbach at Polecat Hollow Farm. And yeah, I called it Polecat Farm in the interview. Whoops. Nancy had some interesting stuff to add to Mark's interview, like, well, turkeys really are as dumb as you've been told. Because if they weren't, they'd fly away. <laughs> Let's have a listen. Hey, I'm here with uh, Nancy Kaltenbach of Polecat Farms. We're sitting on the front porch <laughs> of the farm. How you doing? Good. Glad yeah. to have you here. So, first things first, the show's going up on November 2nd. Is it too late to get a turkey? It is not too late to get a turkey. Okay. Uh, we still probably have... 15 left. Okay. Um, you can get them at www.polcathollowfarm.com um, and just put an order in and then we do a $25 deposit. Okay. And then you'll pick up either Bullsburg Farmer's Market or you can come out and visit us on the farm right before wow. Thanksgiving. Okay. And, and getting to the farm is not that hard and it is really scenic. <laughs> so how, how much do they run? So they are... Six dollars a pound. Okay. And they're we're probably in the fifteen to twenty pound range of what we have left. The bigger ones all take reservations first, and the smaller ones all get res reserved first. Gotcha. And then we we usually end up with a lot in the middle. Okay. How long have you been raising turkeys? You said you've only been here. We've been here six years. Okay. Uh, we've been doing turkeys for five of them. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, is that a Thanksgiving thing only, or do you... It's a Thanksgiving thing only. Okay. Uh, we, we consider doing them earlier in the year because we do sell a lot of turkey parts during the oh, farmer's okay. market. Um, but we were a little constrained this year on shelters. So we're adding oh. shelters next year. Okay. Uh, so we can... And the Run. shelters being the ones I saw out in the field. Yes. So yeah. we use uh, hoop houses that are just built with fittings and um, top rail for chain link fence. We bend it. Oh, okay. We make the shelters ourselves with fittings that we purchased from a guy in Colorado who <laughs> sells kits. Okay. And they're really flexible. We actually put sheep in them over the winter as oh. well, just to give them extra shelter. They're covered with what? Just plastic or they're canvas or tarps? Okay. What's your What's the major product of the farm? Um. So we primarily do pork. Okay. Um, I would say, but we have. That's probably what we sell the most of. Um, but we have pork. We have beef. Uh, we do broiler chickens. We've really increased our capacity on broiler chickens okay. this year. They're raised on pasture as well. Uh, the Katahdin sheep are on pasture, grass-fed. Let me think. We did some ducks this year. Oh, wow. Wow. So. I'm going to have to get a duck. <laughs> I'm a big fan of duck. I mean, I see your, I've been to your stand at uh, at Bullsburg for the farmer's ring. That's Tuesday afternoons. Is that T correct? Tuesday afternoons from 2 to 6. Um, in the summertime, it's at the Pennsylvania Military Museum, and in the winter, uh, starting I think the first week in November, we'll okay. be we'll be over at the Bullsburg Fire Hall. Right. We're still going to be outside though because we travel with the trailer. Ah, okay. Because it's hard to move freezers in and out. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like raising turkeys compared to raising chickens? So 
We do conventional turkeys. Um, typically what we do are specialty breeds, maybe not specialty breeds, but breeds that are good at being animals. Okay. Um, so we do a slow grow broiler. The other animals that we raise are a little, have more instincts, let's say. Okay. They're not bred as a, as just a meat a product. Bird. Yeah, product. Um, we do conventional turkeys because there are some inherent risks with doing heritage turkeys. Um, they're a little bit harder to raise. They're slower growing. You don't really know what size they're going to be. Okay. And they can fly. Really? So. That's we, not. <laughs> we actually have a friend who has a farm that had a couple of turkeys leave. Oh, right before just... turkey processing oh, day. Oh, no. Oh, no. So we do the conventional turkeys okay. just to make sure because we have to hit a date on that right. one. Right. Right. You um, want them to be there when you need them. Yeah. It's not like the sheep. Like, if you don't get on the trailer that day, we'll get you on the trailer another day. <laughs> if you don't get on the trailer for Thanksgiving, somebody's That's unhappy. That's true. That's true. So they, they're a little tougher to raise just because they don't have as many instincts left um, with the conventional turkeys. Um, so kind of the stories we've heard about how dumb they are. Absolutely wow, true. Wow, okay. Yep, yep, they just, we've not done too bad this year once we got through the, the initial purchase. Um, like when they first come, there's always the potential that they were stressed in shipping. Oh. Um, we've mitigated that for next year. We're going to go pick up our own turkeys. Okay. And, and, and how old are they when you pick them up? They're, uh, they ship it day old. Wow. Okay. So they hatch them, dry them, and ship them. Wow. From where? So we were getting them from a place in Pennsylvania, but we had an order mishap this year, and oh. these came from Michigan. So we lost some with the shipping. Uh-huh. Um, the company was really great, and they reimbursed us. They said they were probably went from a hot truck to an air-conditioned environment. Too quick. Too quick. Yeah. Do turkeys lay eggs? Not at the age that we oh, okay. have them. Gotcha. So they would if we kept them, but they're not going to hit full maturity for some time after Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. How, how much work is involved day to day with turkeys? Uh, the biggest problem actually is the waterers. So we're, because they, we use, they're just jugs that they have a hole on the bottom and a tray that they sit in and they get very dirty. So we're looking at some upgrades next year for waterers but it probably takes us maybe 20 30 minutes to do turkeys oh a day a day okay all right and then when when it is time i mean do you you process them here so we use a processor oh okay um and you take them there live we take them there live they okay. actually load right onto our livestock trailer okay um the chickens we load into chicken crates but the turkeys we just put them on heard them on there Maybe with a little help. Okay. One of us stands there. And... Wow. It sounds like they might need it. Yeah, they... Actually, putting them on the trailer is not that bad. We back the trailer, right? We put them all in their shelter. Mm -hmm. So they would stay in their shelters overnight because we are worried about the four-legged predators. Oh, yeah. So they'll start ranging, and they're in shelters now, but they're at the size where they're going to range in an electro-net fence, um, which is just a, a net fence with some... It's a polyester wire with some conductors through it, and we'll hook it up to a fencer, and just like electric fence for cows, there'll okay. be an electric net for turkeys. Gotcha. Um, even at night, 
we don't trust that to keep the predators out, so we do put them back in their shelters. What are, we, what are we talking about? Like foxes? Foxes, coyotes. coyotes. Okay. We actually had a groundhog bite through the electric fence oh, once, Lord. not to get the turkeys, but oh. just to get their food. <laughs> and then how long does that take once they get to the processor? Is it like a day, a couple of days? No, the processor is very fast. So okay. we have two processing dates. Um, so we'll do one group the Saturday before Thanksgiving and one group the Monday before Thanksgiving. And, wow, and that's we, a fresh turkey. And we have... Um, It'd be maybe three hours. Okay. Like our, we had done processing on the farm, so there's an exemption for small farms, so okay. we can process so much poultry on oh, the farm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, we had done it ourselves with our chickens, and we had some neighbors come over, and four of us processed sixty chickens in twelve hours, and didn't even get them packaged. Our processor will. We typically do batches of one hundred and twenty-five to one hundred and fifty chickens. They'll do that in about an hour and a half, and okay. then and then we'll bring them back here and package them. Yeah. Okay. All right. I guess we'll go go to the thing that everybody wants to hear. Any any advice on how to cook a turkey? So one thing, if you're buying pasture raised turkeys, they cook faster. Oh. Okay. Um, the meat is definitely it's firmer. It has more tech. Uh, Better texture, uh -huh. let's say, because... Uh, it's actually got a bite to it? Yeah. Okay. Um, they hold the moisture a lot better, so it's not so bad if you overshoot a little bit. Okay. Because that happens on Thanksgiving. Yes. Like, <laughs> you're, like, talking to your cousin and... <laughs> Having another bellini. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one thing with the pasture-raised turkeys, unless you're in love with brining your turkey, you mm -hmm. don't have to. Oh, cool. Um, because they are so much more moist. And that's, that's the one problem with brining the turkey. They're so darn big. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a big fan of, and different people do it different ways, but I'm a big fan of high temperature at first to crisp up the yes. skin a little bit and then really low temperatures for the rest of the time. Yeah. And some people, you know, the recommendation is not to stuff your turkey, but if you're going to, because you can. There Can't are stop you. <laughs> there there are some things you can do to do it safely. Oh, okay. Um, so you just need to make sure. That, so the pasture raised turkeys are a little bit better from that because you can overshoot the temperature. Oh, oh. Okay. So typically with a conventional turkey, if you get the stuffing to where it needs to be temperature wise, you've overcooked the bird. You've overcooked the bird. With ah. these, are a little more forgiving. Okay. But honestly, I would take the stuffing out a little mm. early and and put it finish back it. and finish it yeah. in the oven. Okay. Because we're not going to tell you to do anything that's not safe. No, um, no. I would always, yeah, always put your stuffing back in the oven and bring it up to temperature. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nancy, thank you. That's all I got. Okay. All right. Thanks for coming out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hope to see you soon. So there is still time to get a farm-raised turkey. But if you want one, you need to find your local turkey farmer today and get your order in. You can't get one from Mark or Nancy, and you're within an hour of Vespin Shades, and you can get there that week? You really oughta. It's a good turkey. I will note one thing. If you've seen or been to Fry Brothers Turkey Ranch up on Route 15 north of Williamsport, and you're thinking, oh, I'll get a turkey there. And the Fry Brothers sold their ranch in 1970. It's just a restaurant with a fun name. And pretty damn good turkey sandwiches. 
Now let's get serious about Thanksgiving, by which I mean let's talk about what to drink with your meal. I was reminded by some of my guests that cider is a good accompaniment to the meal, and I'd argue one that's about as American as a turkey dinner. John Adams started every day with a mug of cider, although he did say he enjoyed Philadelphia beer when he was at the Continental Congress. Ben Wank of Plowman Cider noted that dry cider is the best pairing with all the poultry and buttery, starchy flavors we lean into with this meal. You know, he's right. It is very good, but I have to add my beer and whiskey recommendations, and I'll take a swing at wine as well. Here are some that have worked for me. First, and this isn't going to go over well, IPA isn't the best match here. It's great for tuning up on the pre-dinner snacks and the tailgate fodder during the football games. IPA is a great match for spicy Asian or Latin foods. But for Thanksgiving, stick to the other side of that palate. For instance, when it comes to the main course, turkey and gravy, mashed potatoes, even my favorite, succotash, I'd check the back of the fridge for any lingering bottles of Oktoberfest. You can probably find some Marsen at the beer store. The Germans drink oceans of this stuff with roast chicken and soft pretzels, which, come to think of it, are kind of close to stuffing. That's my wife's favorite part of the meal, roasting spices, caramelized bread with rich butter and turkey juices. But it needs something to lighten all that, with the power to still be tasted. I've got just the thing. A big bottle of the Belgian classic, Duval, a strong, spicy golden ale. If I could find it, I'd love to get a bottle of Unibrew Dom de Dieu, a literal gift of God. That's great with big meals. Are you doing candied yams or a big dish of southern-style mac and cheese? Drown that with some Belgian double. It's practically the perfect food beer anyway, incredibly versatile, but it was made for these rich, sweet dishes. You could even pair up your pumpkin pie with a double, or the sweet potato pie I've made. But hey, dessert means the end of the meal, so you might as well tag in the heavyweight. Get some imperial stout. No pastries or coffee or fruit, just straight-up black malty beauty. Sink me, that's good. Time to hibernate. If you want just one beer to drink with the whole meal, that's hard. But Cezanne Dupont would do it, especially the Avec Le Bon Vu holiday version, amped up as it is, or a magnum of Chimay Blue. That'd be capital. How do you pair wine with all those different foods? Well, with choices and sharing. And it means you can have several glasses going through the hour or more that you'll be at the table. Start with some sparkling wine with the pre-dinner snacks. Shrimp, cheese, nuts, crudités all go well with Prosecco, a cold, crisp cava, or just straight-up champagne. See, you're having fun already. At turkey time, go white, but steer clear of the oak. Try a dry Riesling, or an Italian I just learned about from our little wine club, Vermentino. It's crisp, acidic, and they're not going to fatten the meal, but trim it. Keep it light. If you've just got to have red wine, stay away from the big bold ones. It's time for Pinot Noir, unless you find that too serious or too iffy. In which case, hey, Nouveau Beaujolais drops on November 16th. Grab it and have some fun. At the end of the meal, listen to the wise words of Chef Cuddy from Elk Creek Cafe and serve some port. Pie, nuts, cheese, port, you're done. Whiskey? I'm not actually big on pairing whiskey with food. I pair whiskey with occasions, usually after the food. With Thanksgiving, it's an occasion. You're going to want a solid 10 to 12 year old bourbon, 
12 to 18 year old Speyside single malt or a good blended malt, maybe skip the peat this time. A single pot still Irish or some solid extra special Canadian. Don't skimp. Break out something good. All right, that's got the drinks covered. Time to cook. I've been promising you sweet potato pie. We got some sweet potatoes from our CSA. You should know, this is kind of a scary big deal for me. I don't really like to bake. I'm a cook, not a baker. Still, I wanted to do something from scratch for this show, and from scratch, to me, means baking. I'd had sweet potato pie once, and it seemed like it would be a lot easier to make from scratch than a pumpkin pie. But, whew, it wasn't easy. The sweet potatoes took forever to roast, about 90 minutes at 400 degrees, and the peeling was excruciating. There was some kind of second skin under the top skin that just didn't want to come off. I probably should have just cut them lengthwise and scooped the flesh out. Then when I put them in the KitchenAid bowl, they bounced around like rocks. Large chunks were still underdone and fibrous. So I put it all in a bowl and microwaved it, eventually going 12 minutes on high before I could really fork mash them. Back in the KitchenAid to spin for a while. Meanwhile, I tried blind baking a pie crust for the first time. Pillsbury pie crust. If I'd tried making the crust from scratch, I'd still be trying to get it right. I got the parchment paper and dried beans in, put it in the oven. Twelve minutes later, pulled it out, lifted the paper. Cracked all over. I, I googled the situation and learned that you can spackle a pie crust. <laughs> I did so with the extra pie crust, gleefully, finally, something that worked. I measured my spices, ginger, cinnamon, nutmeg, added a fat tablespoon of organic Madagascar vanilla extract, a half cup of brown sugar and four eggs, and the thing that makes it southern, a can of evaporated milk. Back to the KitchenAid, dumped that into the sweet potatoes. Didn't look quite right, so I added two tablespoons of Elijah Craig toasted barrel bourbon. Okay, maybe it didn't look quite right because I wanted to add some bourbon. Sure smelled good. I was still finding little dime-sized chunks of hard potato in the filling, though. Ugh! Eh, enough. I poured it into the pie shell. And you know what? There was just enough, too much, that all the hard chunks stayed in the mixing bowl. Perfect! I carefully slid it into a 400-degree oven for 45 minutes. I was surprised to see that this part worked almost perfectly. I gave it three extra minutes, and it was done. As the recipe said, when I moved the pie, the filling jiggled, but it didn't wiggle. How's that for precise? How was it? I believe I may have whipped the eggs too much. It was weirdly fluffy, but it tasted great, and the spackled crust was fine. We'll have to see about this for the Thanksgiving table. I'm thinking about upping the bourbon and maybe substituting molasses for the brown sugar. The pie is baked. The table's set, and the drinks are poured. It's time to seat our guests, the folks I interviewed, who helped me make this first year of Seen Through a Glass so special. For all of you, I do give thanks for helping me make this happen, and for coming back for seconds. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. I ask everyone the same thing. Other than the turkey, what's the one thing, food or drink, that has to be on your table to make it Thanksgiving for you? And I'd tell them the same thing I'd tell you. Don't apologize for anything. Sweet stuff, bland stuff, weird stuff. Hey, this is comfort food day, and we can all have what we want. I'll start. I've got to have succotash, that stewed combination of lima beans and corn braised in milk and butter with plenty of black pepper, the way my father made them. 
No baby limas. I want the big fat Ford hooks. Smooth beans, corn with just a little sweet pop, and that light peppery milk and butter sauce. Mmm, boy. The most popular answer, which kind of surprised me, was gravy. Erica Unruh, the distiller at Barrel 21, was emphatic. A Thanksgiving must is pretty traditional for me. Mashed potatoes with homemade gravy. She'll also have to watch the Best in Show National Dog Show, as well as the traditional football. Philip Jensen at Big Spring Spirits was emphatic. If it's just one thing, then gravy. I'm pretty traditional. Turkey, gravy, mashed potatoes, stuffing, and peas. Anything else is, well, gravy. Oh, and plenty of wine. (laughs) Bjorn Reed at the Knickerbocker Tavern was terse. The item that makes or breaks Thanksgiving dinner for me is the gravy. Period. I like the way Ben Wank at Plum and Cider put it. For me, Thanksgiving is all about the side dishes, and the ones that promote liberal use of gravy are tops among these. It won't feel like Thanksgiving until I've taken the gravy boat for a little tour of everything on that first plate. Stuffing also gets plenty of love. Tim Bowser of Elk Creek Cafe was unapologetic. Proper mashed potatoes and white bread stuffing. He started to explain about the white bread stuffing, but I shushed him. I I get it, Tim. It's all good. Tom Keogh at Yards Brewing is a big guy, and he likes a big stuffing. My Polish grandmother's stuffing is the dish that must be on the table. It's made with Pepperidge Farm bread, pounds of ground pork, and lots of butter. That is the flavor of Thanksgiving for me. Tom's also the lone succotash fan at his home. Cheers! My old buddy Kevin Spicer at Market Cross Pub says stuffing is a must. It's got to be good stuffing, not dried out and flavorless. That said, I don't love stuffing or seek it out at any time other than Thanksgiving. I do love beer, though. Hey, me too, Kevin. Ken Carell at Human Robot Brewing put a personal touch on the must-have. My 90-year-old mother, Mama Dotsie's stuffing. Long may she stuff, Ken. Cranberry's got some love, too. Rachel Courtney at Sugar Mama's Appalachian Maple says it's not a Thanksgiving meal unless there's fresh cranberry sauce on the table. Of course, it's a bonus if it's sweetened with pure PA maple syrup. Sure is. And I hear foragers can find wild cranberries in Black Machannon State Park. Our foodie academic, Dr. Bob Roberts, of the Penn State Ice Cream Short Course, had the courage to say it. Perhaps sad, but true, it's a can of Ocean Spray Cranberry Jelly. Tells you what an Epicurean I am. Bob, I like fresh cranberry relish, but I want that dark red cylinder on the table too. Other traditional side dishes got a hug. Adam Hirschner at New River Brewing from our North Carolina episode has to have green bean casserole. But, he said, going against the tired stereotype of family holiday battles, my favorite thing is spending time with the family because it's so busy all the other times. Amen, Adam. Bethany Hinkle from Spiral Path Organic Farm said that, in our house, it is mom's candied sweet potatoes. She always made a gigantic roasting pan full only at the holidays. And what is there not to love about potatoes that are already sweet being cooked in a sauce of butter, brown sugar, and caro syrup? Whew, I can feel that pleasant ache in my teeth now. Two people mentioned pies. Nancy Kaltenbach, from earlier in this show, had to have pecan pie. Last year, she told me, I was talking, and I missed the pecan pie, but my cousin split his piece with me. I love him for that. That's a great little Thanksgiving story there that really captures the family angle, from both sides. 
Mike Smith at Bull City Brewing made my wife glow with shared memory with his answer. It's apple pie served with slices of an aged sharp cheddar cheese, and the sharper the better. As my grandfather used to say, pie without cheese is like a hug without a squeeze. Kathy's French-Canadian grandfather felt the same way. Cheese? Jason Euphema at Shy Bear Brewing says their favorite dish has evolved a bit into a pimento cheese and sweet corn pudding. It's so good. I think I prefer it as a schmear on toasted sourdough with our Grand Marnier cranberry relish and leftover turkey sandwiches on Friday. Black Friday never sounded so good. Speaking of Friday, my man Ed Garrett with the It's Friday Somewhere podcast cast a solid vote for bacon. When I smoke my turkey breast, I cover it in very lightly cooked, thick-cut bacon. I poke holes in the breast so the juices seep in. Then put that in a bowl, and the smokiness, turkey, pork, and bourbon-soaked wood chips all together make a good time at the table. Damn, Ed. Wow. Thanksgiving is a day for family food traditions, so you can't argue choices. Chris Cariga of Therapy Brewing has a very personal one. As a kid, I always asked for grilled cheese. As an adult, I put one on my plate. And why not? Caleb Peachy at Robin Hood Brewing says he knows it's crazy, but the one food has to be deviled eggs. I love those things with a nice, crisp PBR. Have a great day. No judgment here, buddy. And that's a great segue into the folks who tag drinks as their must-have sides. When I interviewed Mark Scherer for this episode, he told me that it depends on the age of the audience. Over 21, fine whiskey to complement the feast. Under 21, fine apple cider, because it is the season. And his friend, Bill Boozer, who was there with us, just happened to have a jug of his own excellent cider that he insisted on giving me, a blend of two of my favorite apples, as it turns out, Stamen Wine Saps and Northern Spies. I'd definitely put that on my table, under 21 or not. Daniel Chef Cuddy Cutchell from Elk Creek Cafe likes a nice dessert wine, like a Tony Porto, when it's dessert service time. Thanksgiving is such an aggressive meal. It's very labor-intensive with big, bold flavors. Breaking out a nice dessert wine after dinner service really puts it together for me. It also helps in deciding that dishes can wait until morning. I like the way you think, Chef. Brewer Tim Yarrington will make a proper Manhattan to soften the stress of hosting and meal preparation. The essential ingredient, home-cured, hand-pitted cherries soaked with simple syrup, rye, ginger, clove, and cinnamon for a six-month minimum. George Nickel Rye and Carpano Antica Sweet Vermouth complete the package in sensible proportion. But two of them is better. I don't know how I could argue with that. Finally, I thought at first that Bob Ricketts at Fasta Pasta was just being indecisive or doing an I-love-all-my-children thing, but he did give us their whole menu, and it's worth hearing. This is all on his Thanksgiving table. Homemade pizza, we make the dough on Wednesday, a big cheese board, lots of pies, brisket, mashed potatoes and mashed sweet potatoes, green beans, Brussels sprouts, fall salad, butternut squash, carrots, mac and cheese, cranberries, regular stuffing and cornbread stuffing with andouille, rolls, and stuffing biscuits. Oh, oh yeah, and turkey. As he says, it's a more is more approach. That's the show. Thanks to Nancy Kaltenbach and Mark Scherer for taking time in the middle of their busiest season to talk to me. 
Special thanks to the guests who sent me their side dish must-haves, and to all the guests from this first year of Seeing Through a Glass. I literally could not have done it without you. I'm looking forward to meeting more of Central Pennsylvania's finest in 2024. As we come around to this first anniversary of the podcast, I'm going to thank Jason Euphema of Shy Bear one more time for giving me the impetus to do this. It's been a lot of fun so far. And sincerely, thank you, the listeners. You've told your friends, you've told me what you think, you've donated money and equipment even, and made this a great year. Cannot do it without you. What would be the point? Stay tuned. We're going strong in a year two. The ocarina, the clay wind instrument made famous in modern times by the Legend of Zelda game, was widely known as a sweet potato in the 1930s, when it was a popular folk instrument in America. I used to play one. The next episode will be in two weeks, and I have several possibilities turning on that one. We'll have to see what happens. Just remember, after that, I'll be taking off until December 14th, when I'll return with our big holiday show. Stay tuned for more on that. Until then, thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass from the Smack Dab Center of the Keystone State. Keystone State.